the time is finally here, cousins. We have the founders of My Balbo. I know you've heard the commercials. You probably have some additional questions. And Eunice and I were on the detective case asking the questions that likely you would want to know. For instance, did you know that the founders of My Balbo, John, Stacy, and Sarah Celestian, are siblings? Didn't know that, did you? That's a teaser. I'm building suspense. So definitely take a listen, get prepared, get your popcorn because we're spilling the tea. We're finding out how these siblings decided to go into business together. Why a tech company? And where did the name My Balbo come from? Hey, cousins. So we're <laughs> back this time. And normally I comb the streets of TikTok and social media. Eunice always gets me with that because I slide into the DMs. But this time I didn't have to because I'm going in my own backyard or, well, yeah, I guess I say it's my own backyard. And this time I have found the Celestians. Yes, they are a sibling team, technically triplets. We're dismissing one, but that's okay. And we're here to talk about my Balbo. So y'all have heard this commercial running all season through the mini sods, and you're probably still trying to figure out what is my Balbo? Where did this commercial come from? Well, now we have the team here where that's what we're going to talk about. And it's the perfect time because in the U.S., we're getting ready for our election season. So welcome. Welcome, Stacy. Welcome, John. Yeah, welcome. Hey, hey, hey. hey. How's it going, guys? <laughs> or as I like to say, the virtual couch. Oh, well, we are excited to be on this virtual couch. <laughs> so I usually kick it off with our inaugural question. Before we get to where you are now, we like to kind of, at a high level, talk about the journey a little bit. Because a lot of times people see the level up and they don't realize the work that's involved in getting to that step. So Talk to us a little bit about when you were leaving college. We have different camps of people that we're finding when we do these different interviews. Some people, college is not an option for them. They've got to jump out there into the working world right away. It's not a luxury. Other people, college is an option, but they have no idea what they want to do. And then some people are like a spirit from another life, just reincarnated like Eunice, that comes out the womb, loving numbers, knowing what they want to do. And that's what they're going into school for. So oh what boy. camp <laughs> did y'all fall in? Did you know what you wanted to do and that college was the track for you or you weren't quite sure? Stacey, you can go first on this one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't for that question, right? <laughs> Long story short, you know, uh, my journey was interesting. I always thought in high school that I would be um, in medical the medical field, I actually did pre-med when I went to my undergrad initially. I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. And then um, I went there for my scholastic year um, at that time. University was with a volleyball scholarship. But after my second year, I found I was just chanted by like the uh, university. And I decided to go home for various reasons. And then I had this window, which is a beautiful thing. Most people go like, you know, you go back to school, but it made me realize I kind of wanted to take my time to figure it out. So during that time, I gained all of this experience as far as employment, like um, from project management, you know, to all kinds of things like, you know, strategic workforce planning and so forth. Speed it up. I ended up in the government um, by way of a, a, a ask by someone to help me with the project. And then the government wanted me and I fell into it. Fast forward more, even more, um, <laughs> within like eight years, I was the highest ranking African-American on the West Coast within Homeland. Um, and at that time, I realized at that point that the government wasn't really a place, a space that I wanted to be in as far as an individual, even though what they do is amazing. The people in it are amazing. They do good work for the public. Um, but for me, I wanted to bow out. And I did my own thing, entrepreneurial, and help with nonprofits and so forth. And then me and Johnny and Sarah landed on my Bible two years ago, which is another part of the journey. But that was me scholastically until now. So if I get this straight, graduated yep. high school, you were like medical profession. That's where I'm going to go into. And you wanted to be with the babies to kind of help them out and really just put your, your handprint there, right? Yeah. Um, so what would you say kind of made you say, I know this is great, but I know you said it was around the school. So was it 
customer service or would you say maybe you just kind of lost the passion for it or? You know, it's a very good question. I think it's a combination of a few things. I felt that at that time that I didn't feel challenged. Okay. Um, and I also, being that I was there um, for athletically, um, that I guess they match. I didn't feel challenged in either a core. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, for someone like me, if I get bored over time, it's time for me to move on. And that's always been like for me, even with careers, like, okay, I think I've learned as much as I can at this yeah. point, done what I can. It's time to go to wherever it might be to transfer, but I knew I needed to bow out at that time. Yeah. And you know what? And I appreciate that because a lot of times we think we know what we want to do or we don't know what we want to do and we feel like we're boxed in. And yeah. so having the freedom to kind of stretch out and say, this is really not for me. Um, yeah. That's just, you know, that, that's that's powerful because sometimes we kind of limit ourselves. Right. And so you kind of stepped out. So I wanted to hone in on that. Never. And now, <laughs> John, what about you? Yeah, so um, college was an interesting uh, journey for me. I feel like I grew up in a time, like a lot of us, where college was like the primary option post-high school. You were kind of expected to go to college. And so it left me, and I think a lot of my peers, um, feeling sort of, not necessarily um, um, sort of like cattled into like the next, like, portion of our lives right and so Mm, uh, like many of us we learn along the way um, if college is for us if it's working for us I ended up going to VCU um, after high school and majoring in accounting Um, and it wasn't until I actually got into my major that I found out like hey although I like numbers um, accounting isn't for me Um, and that along with other um, other things um, I ended up uh, dropping out of college after my second year at VCU Mm -hmm. and moving to New York how can and... I say, I think there's a trend that is two years for us. Oh, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I, I see. Well, there's yeah, a couple yeah. things. <laughs> One, knife to the heart with the accounting comments. So just I knew you were going to say something. This is, this is yeah. master's and bachelor's in accounting. So I'm just saying, I, I oh, no. you know. <laughs> Those are fighting words for you. <laughs> you know what? We you want know, you to come back. Come on back to our team. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I remember all of it. Um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I think that high school should do a better job, I think, for preparing people for whatever the next phase is for them. And unfortunately, you know, we get ushered into college and we have to learn on the fly if our major actually resonates with us. And I think that does a lot of people a disservice, you know, and especially because many of us don't have the pleasure of taking a gap year, right? You know, a lot of us don't really have that leisure or sort of the economic freedom to say, hey, I'm going to travel and explore the world after high school and see what I like, who can do that, right? None of my cousins can do that. I couldn't do that. So I did what was sort of expected, went to college, uh, found myself like Stacy, um, sort of disenchanted with my major. Yeah. And that along with the fact that um, I had other sort of passions uh, inside of me that sort of led to me to dropping out and moving to New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up doing uh, theater for quite some time there, uh, almost like nice. 10 years in New York. And then I went back to school at Columbia University and majored in politics. And um, luckily, I had made good grades enough in VCU that I was able to um, get accepted, I guess, and have sort of enough of my resume with uh, my sort of theatrical work that they accepted me in their uh, GS program, which is for non-traditional students, if you will. And so, um, yeah, and so went back to school, did political science, and I found a lot more passion um, behind that. I think, I think because I actually had that time to, for self-discovery, right? I had that time yeah. to explore my life. I had that time. Um, but still, like most people, whether or not you, you, you resonate or not with it or you drop out or not, you know, you have that bill. That bill is not going anywhere. If you graduate or don't graduate. So it's like, it's unfortunate a lot of us end up dropping out or finding that we don't like our majors and still have to, you know, pay that bill that's, you know, looking, yeah. is looming over all of us. And you know what, and I appreciate you guys for sharing that with yeah. us. And that's why Rachel and I typically ask this question because everyone sees people at their end, you know, the end goals or the supposedly end goal, right? And think, oh my God, it was so easy for them to get there. But it was not an easy choice for you to, to drop out, out of school. And then education just doesn't stop there, right? You made a conscious decision to go back and say, hey, let me pursue this route. So I think it's always a a learning journey about yourself. And one of the key things that you said was self-discovery, because it really comes down to that. 
you know, we're influenced by what everyone else may tell us, family, friends, mentors, but at the end of the day, it's what are you comfortable doing and living with and um, walking your truth. So I always like to hear people's journey because sometimes it's drastically different from where you're at today. And can I say something due to that note? When I yeah. so go back to school and I wanna make a plug about community college. Um, mm-hmm. The university in which I was in, uh, refused to release my transcripts because of a debt going to John's Point. Wow. So I moved to another, there, there was a few schools that truly were heavily and really wanted to go to. Um, one specific I really school, I won't be named, but because they wouldn't release it, I couldn't go. So I literally had to start over and go to, I decided to go to community college. And I've mm-hmm. already gone to school for two and a half years. Right. I, and then I literally had to start over. But I say that to whomever is listening is don't be ashamed of that. Take, yep. that, take that moment because it's more financially equi- um, equitable, I would say. Yep. Uh, and, and, and once you do that, you can realize what degree you want to do. Because in that process, I realized I didn't want to go back into medical. I wanted to do mm-hmm. science like John, globalization and so forth. So I didn't want to throw that plug out there and then like, yeah. grad and going to grad school and all that thereafter. But don't be ashamed. It's a dope process to do it that way. And you save yourself a lot of time and money in the event you decide you don't want to go to school. And I'm so glad you said that because it's mm-hmm. all about options, right? And sometimes, yeah. and, and kind of John said this about being cattled in one direction and you think it's just one way to get there. But no, there's, op- there's options, community college, trade work. Of yeah. military. It's all of these options, but sometimes you're kind of typecast to thinking this is the only way. And if I'm not successful and people are miserable going through this journey when your twenties, it's supposed to be a time of like really enjoying yourself and living life. But it's like, we're so bogged down by what we think we should do in the status quo that sometimes I feel like we're missing out on just key opportunities that we could have learned earlier in life. Um, because we're kind of just, you know, I don't want to say robots, but you know, think this is what we need to do. So we're definitely on the hands. Thanks for that plug. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But I think it's also which led us to want to do the podcast. Sometimes people feel that they're limited based on the location of where they are. Because like the the three of us, we grew up in a military town. So when you go to Virginia Beach, also known as the seven cities or even the DMV area, DC, Maryland, Virginia, it's heavily metal military. So when you're in school, that's often the option that's drilled to you. If you're not going to go to college via a sport or you're not going to go from a a sport to professional, then you're going to go into the military. And then via the military, either it's ROTC, GI Bill for school or whatever the combinations are. So I like Mm -hmm. that um, you guys are actually the first guests that have this particular route where you started Mm -hmm. off going to school, you pivoted, went into the world, got some professional experience and perspective, but then came back to school. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so and I think to be another aspect is just like, especially for people of color, people of um, children of immigrants, I think redefining what success looks like for you. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of us, college acceptance in and of itself is success, right? And right. so, uh, especially because people come from first, they're, them being first generational college graduates, um, first generation college attendees. And so, again, you sort of have that um, sort of, um, uh, as you know, when you're trying to decide on what your next move is, I think a lot of uh, young adults feel sort of pressured into, uh, into sort of attaining that as success. And I think it sort of, you know, forces people to do that. And yeah, I think we have to redefine what that, what success looks like for people, how they define success, you know, whether that's trade school, whether that's being autodidactic and learning something on your own. Um, Because there's a lot of sort of honorable trades. There's a lot of honorable ways of making a a way of living without having to go to college and also um, position you for a lot more financial freedom, you know? So. Oh my goodness. I could not have said it better than myself. I love what you both are sharing with us today. Articulate. (laughs) Love it. Okay. (laughs) So we've gotten through the educational journey. Now take us to the point in your careers where you said to yourself, you wanted to really put on your entrepreneurial hat. Because Stacey, you kind of alluded to it a little bit where you were doing work with nonprofits and things like that when you transitioned out of the government. But what was that time period like in your life where y'all said, you know what, we want to step out and we want to do it together as a family? Hmm. Uh, you want to speak for yourself, Johnny, before me? 
No, you can absolutely absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so I would say this, um, and I will speak collectively, at least for Johnny and myself, is we've always probably had that spirit. Um, our father, our first jobs, we were like seven and eight, uh, if not a little older than that. And my father used to have a paper route and he we wanted bikes, and he said, if you want bikes, then you have to join the paper route john did it first oh yeah i came behind and took john's money because i wanted to join so he had to split his cut with me he wasn't happy about that at first but we got through it he was really upset i'm not even joking um but what it did what is it, it taught us like the you know like car work and the benefit of a dollar like the you know and our father was an entrepreneur may he rest in peace um is that he did he started his career a certain way he got into um service master trying to build his own businesses and then he tried to do his own private business though he didn't unfold as he would have would have liked it um the fact that we could see that and i didn't realize that until i was an adult that i was seeing that in front of me and that was playing in my own spirit in my own mind thought because i started making i was making decisions um because i'm a rebel i like to do things as i said you know, and I, you know, I like to step outside the box. I don't want to be like anyone else. I want to do what I want to do and be respectful at the same time. So in saying all that, getting through the government, working my way up all the way to the top of the food chain and deciding, okay, I'm going to bow out. I started getting into real estate investments and so forth. And that was really interesting in stocks. Um, that was very interesting for me. And then I worked for a nonprofit for a little bit. I almost call it consulting. Um, and then even now I still consult for the government. Um, and then Johnny and myself and Sarah had a conversation in 2020 about my Babo. Um, and John came to us because he was in LA. I came back and we're like, wow, this, this could have legs. Let's talk about it more. And two years later, you know, we've been funded and we are actually going live next week. So I won't go into all the details of that, but my journey of being like an entrepreneur just has been there. I'm doing it. I've always been doing it. And I'm excited about it. I mean, I just literally got into Airbnb. With a you know, few of yeah. just to see what it yeah. feels like to see if you know if it's working out, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. even with inflation, you know, I'm beating the hotel prices, so that's all that matters. Yeah. So, I mean, you had the bug, so from very young, you knew, like, hey, I was just you know, beat to my own drum, beat and everything else, and and kind of just go on a separate path. Um, yeah. and what about you, John? Yeah, I'm just going to sort of piggyback off of what uh, Stacey just said. I think what was actually like super pivotal and absolutely uh, beautiful in my childhood was the fact that my father was himself an entrepreneur. Um, and he uh, started Service Master, which is a maintenance company. And so he uh, he um, left his job at the uh, his career at the post office. Um, but prior to that, he was in the military, from military to the post office, and then also and then went, he went to um, the service master. And so as a family, collectively, when my father um, created or started that, that venture, we all started that venture. So Stacey and I were very young, and we were going to his site when he got a contract. We helped him clean up. We helped him take out the trash. We helped him mop up the floors. And um, it was interesting um, with that is that uh, even I remember when I was a child and when you were in, when I was in elementary school and they would say like, name it, you know, put your parents' names on these forms and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. And they would say, what's your parents' occupation? And they had like little bubbles that you had to like uh, fill out. And then one said self-employed. And I, I had so much pride uh, circling mm -hmm. self-employed for my father's job. And it didn't matter yeah. to me that uh, he cleaned up uh, because for me, that was an honorable job. It was um, yeah. a job mm -hmm. that, that, that required a lot of commitment to, to spirit and to, and to heart. And so, um, and so I said that to say that um, I think entrepreneurship uh, comes in a lot of forms. And I think that as we sort of, um, especially for black people and um, first generation and second generation people, as we um, sort of get on the, the sort of band, the traditional bandwagon of what entrepreneurship looks like, that we should honor and take stock of what entrepreneurship may have looked like for the people who came before us, right? Now, it may not look like tech venture, and it may not look like, uh, you know, uh, property and real estate, but for those who came before you, um, entrepreneurship was, um, may have been limited to their circumstances, 
And we should always look back on those moments, on those people, on those examples that we had before us that showed us what entrepreneurship look, look like and the spirit of entrepreneurship and take stock of that, place a lot of honor in that and dignity. And, and for me, that, for me, uh, having seen that was far more pivotal than me seeing anybody on a magazine for, on, on Forbes or Times, you know, being able to see my father do that. So um, I just think that if anybody's listening to this, um, you know, everyone's path is different. Our parents' access isn't what our access looks like. Our grandparents' access isn't what our access looks like. So when you look back on the choices that they had to make, um, respect it and really cherish it because people are doing the best that they can do with the tools that they have. So I just want to throw that out there. Amen. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> I love it. And that's Rachel's speechless. <laughs> I know. And that's hard to do. You just know. I'm a chatty caddy. But I love that. And I love that. I think that's something that for our generation, because we're millennials, but we're we're like a millennial slash baby boomer. We got a chance and opportunities to kind of see that. Whereas I think a lot of the younger millennials and Gen Z's coming up that are more into the age of technology, the digital era, media, social media is blowing up. They unfortunately as a whole, holistically, don't have opportunities to see that. And what oftentimes they do see, it's a different kind of entrepreneurship. It's not necessarily the mix of bootstrap entrepreneurship that we've seen and had the pleasure to be exposed to verse now. So I like that you made those comparatives. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think I just want to make a correction. You said um millennial slash baby boomers. We gotta put that Gen X between that now. <laughs> <laughs> you skipped the whole Rachel well, did well, like a whole I did. two decades to I, this I, group call right years. now. <laughs> I, I did. I was trying to help us all out, but don't no, care. No. Uh, he, uh, he was younger uh, with us. Yeah. The 80s babies. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Exactly. <laughs> Much better. Boomers. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I did. You heard me go when she said I said, woo. <laughs> but yes, we have the privilege of seeing the boomers <laughs> work hard and build some stuff. So now now talk us through kind of partnering together and saying, I have this idea and I think like you said, it can it let's put some legs on it. Let's put some traction to it. Let's go with this. How did you navigate that in coming to the conclusion of we're going to do this? Because a lot of times there's a lot of things we say we're going to do. We Weeks pass by, months pass by, years pass by, and shoulda, coulda, woulda. But you guys took it from, I think we should do this to we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Share with us how that, that came to be. My Bible came from Johnny. Johnny reached out to me and Sarah at that time. This happened during the pandemic, um, during like the height of the pandemic. Oh, I moved back here from LA. When me and Johnny were in LA, my sister was already here in the 757 area. Um, but I made a conscious decision because I could work from here and do what I needed to do in LA with the intent of going back, actually. Um, but I did buy a space. I told myself if I came back here, I was going to buy something, I'm going to rent, and then I'll have something to even like, come back and forth. And I did that in May of 2020. Um, and doing that, it kind of snowballed of like, okay, it seems like it's going to be longer because the pandemic just mm -hmm. kept going and going and no one's opening up. And next thing yeah. you know, we're getting over here near October and around around September, Johnny approached Sarah, myself against uh, our other co-founders, siblings, sister, uh, about the idea of my Baba. Like having this tool that people can know all their information for political uh, or candidates and so forth. And we was like, yeah, this is great. So long story short, we had the conversation. We had more methodical conversations thereafter. And we said, okay, uh, you know, let's, you know, put some, some fire under this. So we, I would say, and I won't go through the timeline too quickly, but, you know, in October, we had a conversation around September. By October, we became an LLC. Um, by the end of October, we hired a dev company. By the end of December, we had a prototype. By the beginning of January of 2021, we had focus groups with um, 
uh, various demographics from millennials to baby boomers, maybe that's what you're, um, and some politicians. Um, speed it up. By the end of November of 2021, we were funded over 400K. And that's another story. It's a beautiful story. And as of today, um, we'll be going live next week. So essentially, I would say it is much easier to do this, a tech startup, because it's a different world, especially a startup in tech. It's not a lot of us, and a lot of us being uh, a brown and black in women-founded companies, um, we get like 1% or less of funding that's out there. That's mm -hmm. the reality of it. Yep, but the fact the that when you, it is, but it, when your spirit is down, it's a beautiful thing to have a partner who you can call your own family um, to kind of lift it up because it's not an easy journey, especially this. It's one thing like buying houses, you don't get it, but it's one thing that right. people say no, or you know you have a nice solution to a problem and they like it, but they don't right. want to so forth. And again, that's a whole nother story, but I say that to say is John brought it to us and then we kind of like just gave it legs. And here we are today. Nice. Yeah. And so John, where does the name come from? So I think uh, either Stacy or our other co-founder, Sarah came up with the name, but my Bible is actually short for my ballot box. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Like yeah. it. You know yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would like to throw out there, I think that a lot of people uh, who grow up in America have been sort of fed the idea that do not do business with family, right? Politics and business don't mix it with family. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because uh, conversely, immigrants, they come here and they start m most of their businesses, if not all of you know, businesses with family. With family. And they build, and they build mm -hmm. generational wealth and they, they send the money back to, you know, whatever country they came from. And they have like a, a, a they have a you know a functioning system that works that way, and I I really feel like a lot of people would uh, a lot of us because a lot of us individually don't maybe not have the money. So say for instance, Stacy and I, um, like we may not have had the money to bootstrap the development of the MVP on our own, right? But collectively, we were able to bootstrap the development of the MVP by pulling together our financial resources. And so, mm -hmm. um, so I think that there are a lot of opportunities out there um, when um, families come together and build together. And I think that, you know, obviously you have to do it with somebody who you have a, a family member who you have a rapport and a trust, you know, with. Um, of course, I have those, I have that with my um, two fellow co-founders, but I think people should explore that option. I think it's a viable option. I think that people are kind of sold a bag of, um, of goods when they, when they tell them not to do that because it leaves mm -hmm. so much opportunity on the table um, when you don't, you know, pull your resources, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, other, you know, other resources that somebody may have at their disposal. Yeah. I mean, so you know, I say something really quickly to just jump mm -hmm. on, like, even like, even like we talk about at a micro level, but a macro level, when we talk about like the Mars family or the Rothschild family, or mm -hmm. Rockefeller, like that literally is a family of folks mm -hmm. who together. We can go as far as the Kardashians if you want to go there to go like yeah. it's a yeah. group of people who are working together collectively to make money and or spread what they call mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's just to that point, I want to just throw that out there just in history. Right. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's good, bad or the ugly, as they say. You can either do it with family or you cannot. And I think the stereotype is with family, it's like you lose that relationship when it goes sour, right? And a lot of people are fearful of that relationship going sour. But I see it as it brought to light something that probably never would have come to light, you know? So here we are engaging in something that, you know, I thought would have been successful and then it's not. But I do think there's, if we were to run the numbers, I think there's more success in kind of getting together as a unit, whether it's with close friends or family. I, I do see there's yeah. merit to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. would say it's interesting that you all say that because I remember when, um, PGD was a concept mm -hmm. and I went to different conferences and I went to a particular conference where there actually was a attorney that works in the world of um, accounting and structure and, and business relationships. And she was talking about that. She was talking about how a lot of times people are fearful to go into business with others, whether they're friends, family, or someone that may be uh, knowledgeable in a space that they're not because it, it's kind of that fear of someone 
going to steal my idea or run mm-hmm. away with the profit. And you haven't even formed the business yet. There even is no profit. It's an imaginary bucket. But all of these um, different reasons why you put yourself in a situation, a stressful situation of trying to handle everything yourself. Yeah. So I like to hear it from this perspective because having initially gone on ventures myself and then Eunice and I were friends and approaching her as a friend, recognizing that she had a strength in multiple areas where I was weak and struggling from a business perspective. I came to her, had had my bullet points and everything all all laid Good out. Boy. It's oh boy. That's how Eunice is. You got to come correct. Well, we balance each other respond. out. You're, exactly. You're a creative spirit. Exactly. So I would say to anyone that's nervous or thinking or considering a partnership, think about the strengths of yourself and the other person or persons and what they collectively bring to the table. Because I think a lot of times when we think about starting businesses, you think you have to be knowledgeable in everything, finance, creativity, legal. No, you want people smarter than you. That's the biggest thing I want to throw out there. Like when you, with that, when you just said that, like you want to hire people who are smarter than you. Like if you think of the position of a president, right? They don't know the nuances of defense. They don't know the nuances of development or aid and so forth. But they hire smart people that they can lean in, you know, these SMEs. And the same thing even with here for all of us, because even Johnny, myself and Sarah have different strengths and we've done well in leaning into that. Because at first, you know, it's a little frustrating. You're trying to figure out how that works. It's one thing to be siblings, it's one thing to work towards a larger goal that consists of, you know, a purpose and a mission and money. So I would say that, yeah. Hire people smarter than you, and you'll learn enough to be dangerous enough in the room to understand what's happening on the surface level, um, and you have them in your back pocket. I love that. Words of advice. Now, my Balbo is in the tech space, and speaking of the tech space, a lot of times people think traditionally there's a linear route when you have an an idea that falls in that realm and you want to have a tech company. A lot of times... uh, If it's a group of people, individuals, they get together, they go through the steps that you name, but then they go through the market of going to different um, conferences like uh, Black in Tech, Afrotech, some of the the major large regional conferences in an effort to present, get angel investors and kind of go that track, hoping to get a partnership uh, with a larger firm, like Google will often uh, pick up smaller companies and take them through a sponsorship to um, bring them up. Amazon is another one that does that. So did was this a discussion that you all had about, you know, well, what would be the best route for us as mm-hmm. we're moving as a company? And then what is that end game? Do we want to go the track to be attractive to another company or do we really want to bootstrap this and kind of bring it up together? Uh, well, that's, it was, it's been a laundry and I'm just thinking of like two years. I'm just like putting it all in my head right now. Um, <laughs> well, you know, a lot's happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess the, um, the advice I would give is um, really uh, figuring out how much money you need, right? How much money do you need to build out an MVP, right? And I think that's what people first have to decide, right? Is what the product is, what the appropriate, you know, product market fit is, and how can you bring that MVP to market? And, you know, that MVP may look a lot different than whatever you think the final product vision is. Mm -hmm. And sort of um, having a bit of grace with yourself and your product as you um, grow, right? And iterate. And um, so figuring out what that is. And I think also going to um, just realizing that one, the odds are stacked against everyone, right? They're stacked even more against, you know, people of color um, and stacked against women and queer people even more, right? Um, And so having that sort of uh, appetite for having to have to white knuckle it to wherever you need to get it to in terms of funding, uh, knowing that it's going to take a lot of meetings, right? Knowing that it's going to take a lot of no's, being okay with hearing no, and understanding that no doesn't necessarily be, is not necessarily a reflection of the product but it could be a reflection of, you know, many things, right? It could be the group of LPs that the firm has and they have to, you know, maybe they have a, a thesis on what they can actually invest in for this, you know, this round of money, right? And I mean, you have, you may even have an amazing product, but it's like, unfortunately, I can only invest in FinTech right now because that's what my LPs are, right? Um, congratulations on the great idea. Good luck, right? 
Um, so, I mean, we got some of that. We got a lot of different ways. We hurt no a thousand ways, right? Um, but we had to just continue to uh, keep going. Um, I think one of the amazing things was that I did, well, we did not do this journey as um, solopreneurs. We had each other. And so I think um, having a sort of safety net, an emotional, I guess, if you will, and spiritual safety net as you go through this journey so that um, you don't um, you do not do this journey depleted. I think um, tired and fatigue are sort of things that you um, expect and are gonna sort of be part of the core, but I think depletion is yeah. something you wanna avoid and keeping people in your circle and around you who can make sure that you don't um, get to that point is important. And, um, and just going through the journey uh, and also knowing that uh, at last point is like knowing that um, don't necessarily go for the sexy companies, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not going to, it may not, nine times out of 10, it's not going to be the Google that invests in your company, right? It's going to be, you know, maybe the angel group of investors in your city, right? Or in your state or in your alma mater, right? Like really starting to think about ways to really get funding that may not necessarily be the path, that may be the path less, you know, less walk. So, yeah. And let me pick up back off what Johnny's saying too. That's amazing stuff is we were guerrilla style about it. Yeah. So, and I think guerrilla style, like we took every, every idea that was out there in an effort to fundraise and did it. So when people go like, is there a right or wrong way? No, there isn't. Because people say, well, you don't code, you know, you don't code email someone or code call. We did that. You know, we yeah. talked to people we have never talked to. Mm -hmm. We've sent hundreds of emails to VCs and people who don't know who we were, but we found their email. Yeah. That's a whole nother yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right there. I mean that. And it came down to alumni. John made a connection of someone at Columbia who who had a conversation with us that went really well and decided to bring two other people and two became four, four became six. And before you know it, we have black and brown investors behind us, as we call it, Black Wall Street behind us and putting their money where their mouth was. So I say that to anyone who's listening, like there's no right or wrong way, just do it. You have no idea yeah. what's going to yield, what dividends is going to yield in any process. The worst they can say to you is no or nothing. Yeah. You move on. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great advice. That's great yes. advice. So then share with us, what does the app do? How, how does it benefit us, society, mm -hmm. the community? Thank you, please. Oh, no, Johnny, no. <laughs> so. You guys should probably pitch this a thousand oh, times. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. yeah excited. And every time excited because, um, especially because we are doing this on our, you know, this is family here. So we are excited yeah. to say this in front of, of you two. So, but, um, yeah, so my Bible is a new social political app for the next generation of voters and change makers. We foster deeper community engagement and higher political accountability. Our motto is your vote, your voice, your village. So there's two main things that my Bible does. So on the one hand, it streamlines all of your elected officials. So as a user, you will log in, put your zip code, and then we streamline all of your elected officials into one location. So we remove the hindrance of finding out who your elected officials are mm -hmm. um, and trying mm -hmm. to sort of disseminate and sift through that information. We do that right. for you, which I think takes away all of, a lot of the, you know, the hurdles when it comes to staying and getting informed. Um, and so we're working on building that all the way down to the city level. Right now, we have it from the federal level all the way down to the state level, and we're built, working on building that out. So we're excited for that. And then on the other hand, uh, what we really want to do is move the needle in our in our nation when it comes to discourse and when it comes to sort of bridging the gaps. Uh, right now, um, division in our country is just ever increasing and it's becoming sort of very visceral, palpable, if you will, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so what we want to do is like we are creating roundtables or a, a social ecosystem within our app uh, that we call our roundtables where users can connect with their community uh, locally and across the nation to talk about things that are important to them. So irrespective of your walk of life, whether you're you're black, you're you're brown, you're white, you're you're queer, you're first generation, there's roundtables on my Bible that's empowering the next generation of voters to be the most engaged and informed. 
but we're also doing it uh, while placing the, um, the power of, you know, of democracy and the republic back into their hands. So I think my only regret with my Balbo is that you weren't around a year ago. <laughs> and this is why. Because if you guys have been around a year ago, what happened to me would not have happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> I moved to this area that is new to me in Florida. Felt like, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm, I'm a taxpayer. This is my right. So excited. Went to my polling place. Presented my ID. Presented my card. I'm ready to vote. They said, I'm sorry, ma'am. You, you can't vote. I immediately went to, no, I'm going to vote. And this woman said, oh, no, I apologize you can't vote because you're in the wrong district you came to the wrong location I said oh well what's my district she's like you're in district 10 you don't even vote for the next six months from now this isn't <laughs> your time period I was like oh oh okay so I say I that bet you Al Sharpton was on his way to your location because that's oh, how yeah. heated you got. <laughs> oh, probably. yeah. Yeah, you kind of like, you're like, <laughs> call them all. Queuing up the texts. I'm queuing <laughs> up the phone calls. Uh, confused looks in the polling place. But I say, I say that to say that was one part of it. As we're in this housing boom, a lot of people are moving, relocating to different areas. I know there's a tribe of me's out there right now that like to vote. They are diligent about it, but it's a little bit confusing when you're in a new area, you're trying to figure out the nuances of it. So that's one piece. But then the other piece, I find myself as an informed voter, I um, research all the candidates. I like to see what all their backgrounds are, especially if it's a new candidate that does not already have some sort of political history um, because they held some other office at some point in their career. And to research it is very difficult and right. it's a very tedious process. It is much easier for me to update my resume and blast it out and for a bunch of positions looking for a job than it is to see, okay, this is someone that has a career in politics. How have they voted? What bills have they backed? What has their campaign been? What has been their stance on some of the hot button issues like education, gun laws, things like that, that are really hot button issues all over. So I love the idea of this app where it lessens the confusion of that. Yeah. And then another thing that you guys shared is the fact that it's just the iterations of it, right? How it started off and where it's at today and where it will be, you know, a year, two years from now, it was you know, completely different along the way because you're taking just real-time on-the-go information and kind of just incorporating that into your app. So that's that was interesting too because what that says is it's not like you have a great idea and you just sit on it and then you're like, ooh, I've arrived. There's always work to be done, right? And, and, and I hear that loud and clear, but I definitely think the idea that you guys have and kind of creating a solution for it, it's needed. Yeah, we're definitely yeah. nonpartisan. So no. You know, to be open and honest about that is to say, like, um, so whomever, when they hear this, they're going to hear it and we're going to already be live and they're going to download the app. And when they download the app, they're going to see what we call ads, right? You see it everywhere. Um, yep. Anywhere you go, social media, you're going to see ads, right? But we only have it in two locations, on-demand videos, which we've already pre-recorded and have a contractual agreement with the influencers. And then live um, videos as far as roundtables. And that's mm -hmm. any everyday user can go up there, whether it's in your local neighborhood or across the nation, have a conversation about things that matter to them the most. Mm -hmm. What we will, you'll never see it is under your vote. We mm -hmm. stay clear and free of that. Even our Google ads have nothing to do with politics. It's just a low hanging fruit for us to generate revenue until we have more capital influx. Again, we got to generate, it's free. <laughs> so we got to pair it some way to keep the doors open. So I just make it very clear to the users, like uh, and you know, the listeners and our, mm -hmm. and our future users, um, that we want to remain such. Even our the information about the politicians is spam. We get it straight from their source, their website. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We don't have any say in it. We want to make sure that people just have the information and they make their own decisions at this point. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I thank you for pointing that out. I thank you for creating a solution that has that. Because again, this day and age, everyone knows about YouTube and you can't be on YouTube and not see one commercial. So I think everyone's used to seeing ads and everything else. So pointing out that, Hey, the ads are there. That's just, you know, a necessary evil. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to bring information out there so you can be informed when you get out to the ballot so that 
you can feel like you're part of the community and, and kind of bringing about change. So thank you for that. And at my bubble, we ultimately hope to make it cool for people to start reaching across the table, right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that are cool these days, right? Um, division, it's cool. Uh, dances on TikTok are cool. But it's mm -hmm. not really cool to reach across the table. It's not really cool to have a nuanced conversation. You don't see it um, in politics. You don't see it in the news. You don't see it on reality television, right? And so mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is create the, bring the cool back to discourse, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reach across the table, and I was going to say, John, if you want to talk about a little bit more about the reach across the table feature, like what does that mean when you say that to the to the listeners? Yeah, so within the app, um, when you create a roundtable, um, so as a user, you can create a roundtable and connect people in your community and across the nation. And so you have the option uh, with creating a roundtable along with the title and description, there is a feature that's called Reach Across the Table. So what that does, it just further signals to the other users that you as a host are inviting people to come in to have a sort of a myriad of perspectives on a topic, right? So let's say um, the, co the conversation is about money, right? You reach across the table with signals to people that, hey, I'm host, I'm having a conversation, but I want to hear different perspectives on it, right? And so what it does is sort of creates an environment for pluralism. It creates an environment where people of different perspectives can come in and have like a sort of free exchange of ideas and, don't, and doesn't feel like they have to come into the room, one, with the answers already, you know, made up. They don't have to come into the room feeling geared for polemics, right? Um, so we're just really just redefining what sort of internet exchanges look like, you know, not sort of the, the, the quips, not sort of the, the snarky rebuttals, mm -hmm. um, but really having um, conversations that we think are gonna help push the needle and people have an appetite for it, you know, especially Gen yeah. Z, they're really sort of, um, they themselves push against the sort of, bi they push against binaries in general, right? They say, don't put me in a box. I'm not even this or that. There's more than two right. options with anything, right? And so um, they, they, there's a big appetite for it, and they're really excited. And we're really excited to be providing this to, uh, to them and all of America because everyone, I think, at this point, they're tired of, you know, the sort of two-sided conversations because yep. people are more than just two-sided. And people, um, I think, what makes up, you know, humanity and sort of the human, the beautiful human experience is the fact that we are multicolored. And we want to have multicolored conversations. And that's what my Bible really brings. Right. Because, I mean, we're so used to hearing it's either black or white. And if it's not gray in the middle. But I think now it's mm -hmm. like, well, there's color. So we're yeah. in the conversation, black, white, gray, color. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. that just means there's just an array of things that we can touch on and, and kind of find more information on. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. This is great information. So can you share with our listeners if there's one thing that you feel that has really helped you to be, I don't want to say successful, but maybe kind of kept you going? Because I'm sure there was a time where you guys felt like, I just want to give up, I want to turn around, or let's just stop here. So if there's something that you can share with our listeners about what keeps you guys going and not ready to quit or hand it over and say, I, I wipe my hands with this, um, share with us, please. Hmm. Having uh, Stacy and Sarah around <laughs> No, literally, literally. Yeah. I think that I, I can't say enough how important, um, how essential it was to have them mm -hmm. uh, with me. And I th I'm sure vice versa. I think that there are many times in people's journey in life, uh, yeah. entrepreneurship and beyond, where um, having people in your corner who love you and respect you, respect um the journey that we're all on respectively and collectively, I think really, really helps. And I, you know, I, you know, I say this uh, on this interview, thank you, Stacy, for all of the beautiful moments that we've shared on this journey that um, I think we've had um, uh, just a lot of things that we've had to sort of in endure and, uh, and, and step over. And I wouldn't have wanted to do that with uh, anybody else but you and Sarah, so. Thank you. No, that's a, that's a ditto. I love my brother. I love my family. Includes you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was waiting. I, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. No, I, I echo that. Um, I would say, um, and I'll softly speak for John. It's it's extremely difficult. Just entrepreneurship in it, and just as a, a whole, but trying to do something that we're doing that has never been done before. No one taking political information and creating social media in a space and putting it all together in an app. That is really 
kind of a first ever. And then doing it as, you know, being a part of very different demographics, Black, woman, queer, and so forth, and all that against you. And there's moments I had to set my ego to the side. Um, coming from a space where I did really well, I made a lot of money, I could do whatever I want, but I knew I had to sacrifice if we were going to do my Bible. I knew I would have to make less. I had to consult when I can. I would have to go into my savings. And there was moments where I felt like I was imploding and I had to put my ego to the side. It's just like, you're sacrificing today so you yeah. can do what you need tomorrow. Like you, you've already proven that you can do the things and then if you needed to, you would. Um, and that was a struggle. And it was a struggle when I got past that also being in a position of power all the time in positions, like knowing that like I'm talking, you know, it's us three now making decisions, not just me in a room for the collective, mm -hmm. us three. It, Cause it really is us three, you know, making decisions, hard decisions at times of going like, let me lean into the strengths of my siblings and vice versa. And when we have issue, let's find a way once we do to get past it or address it, you know? So I say that, that we've always had space for love for one another. Uh, we grew up in a single mother um, household and it was just me, my sister, my brother, and my mom. So I think we were kind of forced to love each other in a way, uh, in such a way, because my mom is very loving. I, I can't explain it. So it, I think it's, people were like, yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, I wish I had a relationship like you guys. And I'm like, yeah, you get on my nerves sometimes, but yeah. And I'm like, I think it's far more. And other people are like, well, I couldn't do it. Or like the hell we talk about things in exchange. So. I say that to say Nicky that, Nelly. yeah, exactly. Nigga, know they are like, we'll go there. But I think it's, I think it's divine. Uh, you know, I'm not religious, but I think it, it's definitely meant to be that Johnny and Sarah in my life in this very moment and doing what exactly what we're doing. And it was building up to that. So this is definitely not by mistake. It is definitely a part of a bigger plan and purpose. So I am fortunate to know that I have these people in my corner that I can actually call family and that I actually love. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you touched on something which actually was one of our our um points as we're wrapping up. We always talk about a pro and we always talk about a con um <laughs> within the space. And I think you guys all along have really talked about the mm -hmm. pro of coming together as um not only being family but as a group going into this business venture versus being solo and trying to carry it on your own. But you also touched on something from an inventor perspective, you created something that wasn't already out there. A lot of times when entrepreneurs come along, they have the benefit of not copying something that already exists, but there is a foundation for something and you figured out a way to improve upon it or make it better or make it more accessible to others. But what is it like when you're creating something that has never been done before and you're trying to get buy-in, you're trying to get support, you're trying to work with developers and other groups, and you don't have something else to go off of other than what you all have uh, blueprinted out yourselves. Can that be frustrating? You want to go, Johnny? First, Extremely. We've had conversations with some very esteemed folks, A-list celebrities, E-list celebrities, multi-millionaires, multi-billionaires, uh, and that, and we're not even joking, and we're talking about obviously net value, either, you know, net worth, but mm -hmm. that to say is um, for people to go like, oh, it's a great idea, but I'm not going to put money behind it. Oh, no one's never thought of this. That's great, but I'm not going to put it behind it. It is mm -hmm. extremely frustrating, and it's a hard road and a pill to swallow at times, and that's why Johnny's point about, you know, being a, a solopreneur versus having a team with you because, you know, those days were rough, you know, yeah. had a lot of no's from April all the way up until probably when we get our first guest was in September, or October. And that's is even actually fast, to be honest with you. Most people, the time we started fundraising, it takes people years. We did it in months, but it was brutal. And we did it all day, every day, all day, every day. We went and mm. we probably expedited the process for ourselves. What, what people were doing two years, we did in that truncated space because we didn't let up that one bit. So it is extremely, extremely frustrating, but you just got to keep your ear to the ground and just keep moving forward when it comes to it, as we say. So I'm going to kick it to Johnny. We can kind of piggyback off that. 
Yeah, I think when you are doing something that's a bit a, a bit innovative, um, it can be attractive or sort of um, to some people and for some people who are risk adverse, uh, a little less attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having a clear vision of what it is that you're trying to bring. And um, I think that helps. I think it helps, especially also Stacey and I and Sarah have a very um, keen eye uh, for detail. And so we are, you know, so whether it is marketing, whether it is the actual um, aesthetics of the app, um, the functionality, uh, we are on top of that. Um, And I think you have to, because I think when you're doing Mm -hmm. something new, I think people oftentimes revert back to what is familiar. And so you have to make sure that you're saying like, hey, no, we're not doing that, which is familiar. We're actually doing something that's a little different, you know? And I think that, um, yeah, just being very clear about that. Um, being uh, decisive, I think, also, and being confident in what it is that you envision, uh, because you know Uber, um, you know, they went for ra- they w- went to raise money, and people were like, you know, nobody's ever gonna let strangers into their car. That's not what people do. And <laughs> right. now what? You know, like everyone's taking an Uber, right? And so I think yeah. you have to have that sort of audacity to go against the grain. And I think you know, I think all three of us bring that to the table, which you know, I'm happy to have a cohort of audacious, if you will, co-founders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. So, what about if people want to get in touch with you? If people want to um, follow my Balbo, follow your journey, where are you? Where can people find you? Oh well, it's a few ways they can get on social media. It's just my Balbo TikTok. If you, where it's only one my Balbo <laughs> as of right now, as we know of, <laughs> those accounts will come up once we like really get amplified. Um, but yeah, you can find us on um, TikTok. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, and IG for now. We're not really focused on um, uh, Facebook because it's not necessarily our demographic. Um, it's based on the age range. Uh, you can also go to um, mybabo.com. A beautiful, amazing site. You can join the movement. If you join the movement, we'll ping you and give you updates on what's happening with mybabo. And those who've already joined the movement, we're most they're going to get pinged soon anyway to do be beta users in the next day or so. <laughs> nice. That's- and if they have any questions, like specific questions, they can also email info at mybabble.com and there'll be someone there to answer it, hopefully within the 48 hours. Okay. And for those of you, as usual, that could not write fast enough, don't worry. Just click the more or the details within the episode and I'll have all the links, all the deets. So I encourage you to click like, subscribe and follow. All right. So any final thoughts before we close out our virtual couch session? This time I kick it to you, Johnny. And then <laughs> you go. <laughs> Teamwork. So, yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to share our journey with uh, with your with your listeners. Uh, you know, it's been a, a beautiful journey, a beautiful roller coaster. Um, happy to have been able to share it with um, loved ones. Um, excited for the next chapters. We are launching next week. So uh, we are working around the clock these days. Uh, But, you know, um, I think, you know, for everyone, just continue to believe in yourself. Continue to, as best you can, stay present. Um, I know that's one of the things I struggle with the most is living within my head. Um, And just, like, giving yourself time to sort of take a breath and take stock of everything that you've done, you know. Your today is not going to be your tomorrow, right? And so just giving yourself some grace. Um, throughout the, the process, I think it's going to help, you know, help serve you. So um, for everyone out there who's listening, uh, we're rooting for you. I don't know what your dream is, what your purpose is, but we are we are rooting for you, Stacey, uh, myself, uh, Sarah. Um, we, we want you guys to succeed, and we look forward to seeing you all soon and seeing you um, on the mountaintop, as you will. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Thank oh, you so much. Uh, um, yeah. I would say the, the, for me, and I'll try to make it as concise as possible, is um, uh, don't be scared to become the person you need to be to get to the next stage in life, in this journey, whatever you're pursuing. And sometimes we, we are, grow so attached to who we are today or of yesterday that in order to become the next thing in our life, we have to be totally release parts of ourselves. And that includes people of letting go, letting go parts of ourselves and letting go people um, in this journey because everyone's not meant to go through the door with you. It's a door usually for you. Um, They're not going to follow you. So I would say to everyone, like, it is extremely scary to evolve. 
change is really hard for anything, but it's inevitable. The weather changes, your mind changes, your weight changes, your age changes, things change. So yeah. go with the flow of the universe and just allow yourself to change as you need to, to become whomever you have to be in order to achieve whatever goal it is. And you'll get there. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. Yay. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, everyone. Again, we're going to have the links in the uh, show notes. I definitely encourage you as election season preliminaries or primaries, excuse me, are kicking off uh, U.S. based for now for those of our listeners that are in other countries. But definitely download, download, download and use the app. Check it out. All right, cousins, thanks for tuning in for another episode. We hope that you were inspired, encouraged, and if you were always on the fence about starting your own business, should I go solo? Should I do a partnership? I hope this encouraged you to at least be open to both, but as always, disclaimer, do your research. Now, if you haven't already gone to the app store on your phone, whether iPhone or Android, and downloaded the My Balbo app, it's available in stores now, definitely do so. It's free. Why not? Check it out. And go vote. Whether you're a seasoned voter or you're someone that hasn't really gotten out there before beyond the presidential election, your voice should be heard. Your vote should be recorded, no matter what side of the aisle that you're on. Now tune in next week as we sit on the virtual couch with Blessed Jeff. Find out how does one go from a college student just cooking to survive to taking simple ingredients but getting creative to a partnership with Frito-Lay. And did I mention the Food Network? That's right, the Food Network. So tune in as Eunice and I ask those hard-hitting foodie questions as the foodies that we are. As always, we're encouraging you to think outside the box.